quality invitation that makes you feel a bit special, makes you feel picked out and wanted. Sometimes it says on the invitation what to wear, doesn't it? Dress formal. Or it says black tie. That always makes me laugh because I always think, is that all? <laughs> sometimes it's very specific, sometimes it isn't. And I'm finding that as a Baptist minister, this new life of mine, I'm getting invited to all sorts of things, all sorts of random things. Um, and um, someone I know quite well, another minister, had a, a, an invitation recently called, to something called a path party. And he thought, oh, that sounds pretty casual. And he just sort of fell out the office in his trainers and his hoodie and went along, you know, was pleased to be asked. <gasps> but when he got there, he found, no, a path party was something very posh indeed. It was put on by the council. The mayor was there in his robes and his, you know, uh, what do you call it? gold chains and uh, everyone was dressed in their suits and high heels you know the sort of thing and there he was in his hoodie felt terribly embarrassed but that's what can happen if invitations aren't specific um phil and i were invited to go to without some new friends that we'd never been out with before um and they said, we're going to the theatre and we're going to see this thing that's set in the 60s and we're all going to go in fancy dress. We thought it would be fun. So Phil and I and some, another couple who had also never been out with these people before um, took what they said and thought, great, let's really live this up. I wore, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say, a sequined silver miniskirt. It was very mini. It was very dramatic. It was all going on, 60s, you couldn't miss it. And my friend Jill wore something similar. And uh, we turned up at this house. What they meant was, when they said we're going dressed in 60s, they meant crew necks and twin sets. We were so out of place. And I had to go to the theatre like this. It was very embarrassing. Actually, they've never asked us to go out with them again. <laughs> Two weeks ago, uh, a regional minister came to talk at Rushmere. Oh, yes, we have regional ministers at our place. He came, he came, and um, during, the, during the time of worship, he, he, well, when he was speaking, he made a comment about um, what you should wear when you come to church. I don't know if he was joking or not, but our worship leader, Aaron, was wearing a hoodie. And uh, he, this guy said something about wearing hoodies. Well, he wouldn't wear a hoodie to lead worship, would you? He said something like that. <gasps> Poor Aaron. So, this week... Well, last week, all through the week, there was a whole debate going on on Facebook about whether it was okay to wear a hoodie to lead worship or not. And all of us joined in, and there was quite a thing going on amongst the um, Rushmere folk on Facebook. Is it okay to wear uh, a hoodie to lead worship? Well, I'm not going to tell you where, which way it went, except to say that last Sunday, there was a huge number of people wearing hoodies. <laughs> so anyway, invitations. You never really know, do you, what's going to happen? Well, there's an invitation for each one of us this morning. There's an invitation for each one of us from the living God. Wow. That very God we heard about right at the start of the service, who put the stars into place, who set the oceans in their seabed. That very living God has an invitation with your name on it, with my name on it this morning. And there's one thing that it says on all of these invitations, our name is individually named, they're individual, but one thing it says on each one of them is, come as you are. Come as you are. 
And David read us the passage in which that invitation is contained. Jesus said to his disciples, follow me. And that's what it says on each of our invitations this morning. Now I'm guessing there's going to be a range of responses going on in your head right now. I think there'll be a whole span of responses. Some of you will be thinking, um, oh, <laughs> follow Jesus. I did that when I was five years old. I've been a Christian for donkey's years. Follow Jesus. Some of you will be thinking, Jesus, I'm only just getting to know him. I don't know what this is all about. I want to know what it means to follow Jesus. Some people will be somewhere in the middle. Some of you will be thinking, yes, I know, I, okay, I made a kind of commitment, but what does it mean for me? What's next? Well, I want to say to you this morning that wherever you are on that spectrum, there is an invitation for you that will make a radical difference to your life if you choose to accept it. If you choose to accept it. Because for each one of us, we have an opportunity to step into a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit, to go deeper in our walk with God to walk more closely into what he wants for us today. Each one of us has an invitation with our name on it. Come as you are is written in bold letters. It also says, what the living God also says, is don't wait till you feel right, dressed right, got the right gear, know what's going on. No, come as you are right now. This morning. Let's look at these verses again that David read for us in Luke. What was happening? Fishermen, ordinary folk, minding their own business. And Jesus comes along with an invitation to follow him. When he turned up, they were washing their nets. Ooh, sounds grim, doesn't it? It wasn't net curtains, girls, just in case you're wondering. It wasn't that sort of nets. But anyway, it'd be a pretty grim job, wouldn't it? And he reached into their ordinary, everyday lives. And he does that today. He comes to ordinary people and he says, come on, follow me, just as you are. Come as you are. Did you notice that when Jesus came along and met with these guys, he got them to do something different with their skills? They were doing the same old stuff. They were out there with the boats. But he got them to do something different and he used their boat as a stage he used their boating skills and their fishing skills and put them to a different use. They'd been fishermen for years, but Jesus got them doing something different. Something, um, and sometimes the invitation from Jesus is to do something different with our skills. Sometimes he calls us out of our comfort zone, and that's certainly what he did with me, as you've heard. But for others, it will be to continue in what we're doing but to do it differently, to do it more closely with him. He'll be calling us to be, behave in a different way in some way, whether we're staying in what we're doing in most of the time or whether we're called into something completely different. But whichever of those is the case, the challenge is no less. It says in verses 4 and 5, when he finished speaking, when Jesus had finished speaking, he'd said to Simon, now put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say, we'll let, I'll let down the nets. Jesus got them thinking about what they were doing in a different way. Have you ever thought that if you just keep doing the thing that you've always done, you keep getting the same result? It's pretty obvious. But actually, I mean, it's something I've thought about quite a bit recently. 
We need to do things differently if we're going to get something different to happen. And, we need, and if we're serious about accepting God's invitation, we need to be willing to change what we do and how we do it. And look at what happened in this case when the disciples were willing to do it. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signalled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they were so full they began to sink. The disciples trusted Jesus and they took a risk in that. They'd been working all night and hadn't had a bite. But Jesus asked them to go out into deep water and cast their nets again. They took a risk. They could have looked very foolish, couldn't, you? couldn't they? Come on, their mates were watching, I'm sure. When we accept the invitation, it may be being, doing stuff that doesn't make sense to us. That really doesn't make sense. When I first was called into ministry, some of you will have heard this before, um, Phil and I had just, we had no idea this was going to happen, and we just had a huge extension on the house. And um, Phil and I were talking about how the finances would work and how we would pay this enormous mortgage. Um, And Phil did some sums and said, I said, can I go part-time? Could I give up part of my job? He said, no. Not that he wasn't willing, but the sums didn't add up. And yet God said, have you need to leave your job full time. You need to get out completely. And I read a book called If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. You don't need to read the book. It's all in the title. Um, and that's what he did. He, he, made, he asked us to do something that was, uh, didn't, say, didn't make sense to us. And sometimes he does that. Jesus asked the same of us today, to trust him and take a risk. Are you willing to take a risk that this invitation might mean for you today. What I do know is that when you do, God is faithful, always. Notice that when, uh, although Simon Peter did step out, and he did take that huge risk, he, um, he wasn't very confident about it. He said, oh, not me, Gov, I'm a sinner, you won't mean me. It says in verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful Man, wouldn't you think that after he had seen such a miracle of those, that number of fish being caught, wouldn't you expect Simon Peter to say, oh, this is amazing. Look what God can do, I'll follow him. But no, he says, I'm not good enough. No, you can't mean me. Don't ask me to follow you. Talking of invitations, this week I had a surprise invitation from a friend of mine. Um, she invited me to see Ruby Wax. Oh, I know, I don't know what you'll think about that, but I went to see Ruby Wax. Some of you are looking a bit blank. She's a very famous American comedian. <laughs> and I went to see her, and it was very exclusive. There were only 80 of us there. Uh, and it was down in Chelmsford. It was a, comedy re- a comic relief um, event in aid of the Priories. I didn't know that she'd, had, that she'd been ill, that she'd had a breakdown, but she has, and she was uh, raising money for the, for the Priory Centres. It was extraordinary, I have to say. This was on Friday night, two days ago. We swung from hearty laughter to deep, dark poignancy as she talked of her experience of depression and despair. I was sitting right at the front, and some of the time she looked right into my eyes as she was talking. This talented, wealthy woman 
who seemed to have it all looked into my face and she said, inside famous people is a big black hole that we're all striving to fill. Some try and fill it with fame like I did, she said. Others with money, others with stuff, furniture, houses. But it can't be filled. It's there, yawning within us. Dark blackness that can't be filled. This woman apparently had it all. She went on to talk about when she was a little girl and how uh, one of her deep, uh, most clear memories of, is of being in a race at sports day and all the other kids zooming off behind, in front of her and her saying, wait, wait, she couldn't catch up and she was very overweight and she felt very unloved and very awkward. She cried out to them and nobody heard her and that memory was really formative to her. She felt rubbish about herself. And it was that rubbish inside that made her drive to be famous because she was trying to fill that hole. She said, I thought I'd buried those memories. I thought I'd buried that lack of self-worth in, uh, through my fame and my fortune, but no. No. It's still there. It's still empty, and it had come back to bite her. A profound lack of self-worth. Well, I don't know about you, but I recognise myself in some of that. I would never have thought that God would ask me to do anything, and I don't know if you, you think that. I always think it should be someone else, like Moses did. Oh no, send my brother. Send someone more articulate. Someone better educated. Some, not me, it won't be me that you want to use. Oh yes, it will. There's an invitation with your name on it. Come as you are. But notice, when Simon said this, oh, no, not me, I'm a sinful man, notice that Jesus didn't say, oh, do you know what, Simon, you're right. Oh, yeah, how, how silly of me. He didn't say, yes, you'd better work on that before you follow me. you better work on that lack of confidence. Yeah, you better watch that temper. you better work on that, then perhaps you can come along. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say, oh, yes, Simon, I hadn't noticed before, but you are a bit weak, aren't you? No. He said, come as you are, right now. I want you just as you are. And he says the same to us today. Jesus said, come on, Simon. He said, come on, we've got stuff to do. Come as you are. And he says the same to us today. What are you waiting for? Let's get on with it. If we knew what God was going to ask us to do, we might well say, as Simon did in this passage, you can't be serious. We have to go with open hands, without preconceived ideas, knowing that God will equip us and make us able to do what he's calling us to do. And we can also know that what, we, what he wants of us, what he calls us to do, will be the most fulfilling thing, the best thing for us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He says, come as you are. But you know what? He doesn't leave us as we are. That's not an option. He doesn't say, oh, come on, come as you are, and you'll do like that. No, he says, come as you are, and I will change you. I will equip you. I will prepare you for what it is I have you to do, for you to do. Um, in verse 10, uh, Jesus says, oh, what am I doing? In, Jesus, in verse 10, 
Jesus said, don't be afraid. From now on, you will, ca- you will, be, you will catch men. So, he had something for Simon to do. I've been thinking about where we might go, uh, just as we are, you know, where we don't prepare, we just turn up. And then um, what came to mind was a few weeks ago, I would, Phil and I were fast asleep about two o'clock in the morning and the telephone rang, one of those awful moments when you just know it's going to be something bad. And it was someone close to us who was in, uh, in, a, in a bad way in town. She'd fallen, she'd smashed her face and her teeth. She was very distressed. And she needed us, and she needed to get to casualty. I've never seen Phil move so fast in his life. He was out, he was, I don't think he got fully dressed, but he put something on and was out into the, um, into the car and on off to fetch her and take her to casualty. We were there for quite a while, as you are, in casualty in the middle of the night. And I had time to look around, and you know there are all sorts. You see all sorts of people who come as they are into casualty departments in the middle of the night. No one's prepared, everyone's just turned up, uh, just as they were at the time. There was a young man there who was quite scruffy, worse for wear, who the staff were trying to help, and he was very angry. He was carrying a lot of stuff. He was really cross with anyone who, who tried to help him. The poor staff were trying to be kind, trying to help him, and he was just angry and abusive. But, you know, he got the help he needed. He got the help he needed with all of his anger. He didn't have to get rid of his anger first. Someone else was struggling to communicate. They had language difficulties. Their English wasn't their first language, and they could hardly articulate what their need was. But the staff worked it out. He got the help he needed. He didn't need to wait until he could speak good English before he went to the casualty department. He came as he was. And he was sorted. There was someone else dressed up to the nines, looked as if she belonged in a nightclub. Flashy jewellery, lots of lacy stuff going on, you know. She didn't look the part. She didn't look as if she should be there. She looked as if she should be boogieing away on the dance floor. Sometimes we don't look the part. Sometimes we think we're not the sort of person to be a Christian. No, we wouldn't want to be one of those, would we? We wouldn't want to be someone who followed Jesus passionately with all of their being, because that would be very uncool. No, we don't need to look the part. We don't need to be a certain type of person. She was there just as she was, and she got the help she needed. There was another guy who was brought in by a policeman, Most of us took a bit of a wide berth. He looked a bit, well, he looked a bit tough. The policeman took him into the gents' toilets and they were in there for a little while. And when they came out, there must have been some kind of search going on because when they came out, this very large policeman had a plastic bag with some kind of paraphernalia in it. And then he took him into the next room, which was an interview room. Everyone in that waiting room thought... Drugs. Nobody said a word. But you just knew what everyone was thinking. He clearly had some serious problems in his life. He'd been in trouble. He was probably hooked on something nasty or selling it. I don't know what. But he had serious trouble in his life. He didn't have to wait till he got rid of that habit before he came to casualty. No. He came as he was. And he got the help he needed. Two lads 
dressed up to the nines. They were in fancy dress, very expensive fancy dress. And they were dressed up as 1920s geeks. I'd never come across that category myself before, but they knew what they were talking about. Huge glasses, short shorts, braces. But clearly what mattered to them was what they looked like. They were impeccably dressed. That was what mattered to them. They got the help they needed. They'd just come as they were. There was someone else who was drunk, um, very drunk, on dr or I don't know if it was drink or drugs, but he, the thing about him was he didn't know what help he needed. Someone had brought him there, but he got help. He got help. You see where I'm going with this? There was someone who looked completely together. I looked at him and I thought, why is he here? Because everyone else had a bit of blood or bruises or ripped clothing or something. Uh, the girl we were with had a smashed face. It was obviously while she was there. But this guy looked completely normal. I kept looking at him thinking, so what are you here for? Until he stood up and was called in. He had a secret under his coat. He had a, an arm in a bandage. But it was hidden. No one could see it. Aren't we a bit like that sometimes? We look all right on the outside. And there's secrets inside that need dealing with. He got the help he needed. So no one was ready to go there. Each person had come as they were. And that's how Jesus is. He doesn't say, come to me when you've given up smoking. Come to me when you've put that relationship right. Come to me when you're, in, when you're suffering, when you've lost your job, when things are going badly, when you're terminally ill. No. He says, come right now. Come as you are. He doesn't say, oh, just a minute, I'm too busy with richer people, better-looking people, people with qualifications, more charisma, or a brighter smile. He doesn't wait. He doesn't say, wait until your heart is right. Come as you are today. So how do we accept this invitation? Okay, you're probably thinking, all right, Heather, I get it. There's an invitation. It says, come as you are. What's it about? How do I accept it? It's very easy. All you have to do is say, yes, I'll come, and mean it. I had an invitation recently to something I wanted to go to, and um, I thought, yes, I'll, I'll, it said RSVP by the 20th of January. So I thought, oh, yes, I'll do that. But then I looked a bit more closely, and all it had got on it was um, a name and address. They really expected me to get a notepad and a pen out. Or, well, at least envelopes and paper. Remember we used to do that? And reply. Oh, wow, that seemed like a big deal to me. I just wanted to send an email or a text or a, you know, something quick. Well, the invitation from God is not like that one that's, that's a faff to answer. It's really easy. You say, yes, please. And let it be the desire of your heart. It's not difficult to accept. But it does matter what's in your heart. You don't have to worry about getting the words right. People often say, um, I'm no good at praying. Someone said it to me this week. I'm no good at praying, so I don't do it very much. That's really not the point. It's what's in your heart that matters. God sees our heart and knows what we're saying, what our desires are deep within. I remember that when my babies were very tiny, before they knew how to kiss properly... They just used to open their little mouths and rub their mouth on my cheek, you know? And you get all that slobber running down your cheek. 
Now, I never would have dreamt of saying to them, oh, give me a kiss when you've learnt how to do it. Well, you wouldn't, would you? It warmed my heart. It was really precious. And that's how God is with us when we come to him. He knows what's in our heart. We don't have to be articulate. We don't have to get the words right. We just have to say yes, deep within. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That black hole that Ruby talked about is God-shaped. He knows what we need, what we long for, and longs to fill our deepest desires. Of course, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that if we accept his invitation, all the world is going to be rosy. There's no inoculation for Christians against bad stuff happening, is there? But he will never leave us alone. He will be with us. Our God is faithful, and there's deep joy in knowing him better. So if we're serious about knowing God and knowing life as he meant it to be in relationship with him through the Holy Spirit, it's not a bolt-on in our lives. And you know this, it's not a bolt-on, it's the main thing. That's what this verse in John is about. There shouldn't be a list of elements to our life, you know, home, work, family, holidays, garden, church. No, not like that, is it? Desiring God should be the main thing and everything else is a subset When Phil and I were in Edinburgh a while back, we went to one of those tall houses, those very grand houses, preserved by the Natural Trust, National Trust, sorry, in keeping with Edwardian times. And my most vivid memory is not the first four-poster beds or the fine costumes, but of me peering past the roped-off areas to see if I could see what was where we were not supposed to look. Drives me mad. And the thing that really drives me bananas is when they paper over doors. You know they do that in stately homes? They paper over doors, and I always want to know what's behind them. And I think we're like that with God sometimes. We invite him into our lives, and he's a very polite guest. He doesn't go into those areas where he's not invited, where he's not shown. We invite him in, usher him up the stairs to the neat, tidy guest room, past the mess in the other rooms, Here's your room, Jesus. Just let me know if there's anything you need, and I'll see you later. And you know, he's such a model guest, you can go for days without seeing him. But that's not the kind of relationship he wants to have with us. He wants to be in the living room, in the realm of our friendships and our daily activities. He wants to be in the kitchen, in the place where we satisfy our deepest hungers and appetites. He wants to be in the family room as we interact with other members of our family. I want to sit with you at your desk as you balance your checkbook and pay your bills. I want to be in your bedroom and in the most intimate areas of your life. I want to go up to the attic with you. I want to go out to the garage, to the places where you stash the stuff from your past. You know, we've all got old stuff that we've never unpacked, haven't we? Those rooms where you've papered over the door and pretended that they're not there anymore. Broken relationships, unforgiveness, past hurts. Let's unpack it together, room by room. Jesus wants you to give him access to all the hidden areas of your heart and your life. This is what it means to grow in maturity. Then we will know the activity of the Holy Spirit increasing in our lives. So... There's the invitation. You've all got one. Are you going to accept it? 
It says, come as you are. But there's not an option to stay as you are. He wants to change us. Each invitation says at the top, I love you just as you are, but come and be changed. For some of us, it will mean saying yes to Jesus for the first time, to know, coming to know him as our saviour. For another, it will mean to come back to him after a long time of not really bothering with him, of shutting him away in some spare room somewhere. For others, it will mean doing something dramatic like being baptised, maybe, or putting something down that you've been doing or picking something up that God is asking you to do. For some, it will mean seeking healing for some deep pain they've lived with for so long. Perhaps it will mean coming on one of the courses that are run here, or maybe one of Julie's uh, outreach courses, or whatever it is, what does it say in the fine print? It might say, explore the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do in your life in terms of um, fruits of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, even. What is it he's wanting to do with you? Um, I'm going to play a song now as we just consider what our response may be, and it's called come as you are. And as we listen to it, will you just ask God what it is he's saying to you? What does it say in the fine print of your invitation? And what will your response be? And then I'm going to close with a prayer. <laughs>